0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. We're here for Underdog Dynasty. What's going on, guys? With me, I have is Joe and Adam. We've been trying to do this for a while now. Now we're all on the same page. What's up, guys? How are you guys doing?
1: Hanging in there, my friends. How are you guys doing? Good, Joe. Good,
0: Cyrus. Glad to get on here with you and talk you
1: talk some coaches and a uh, coaching search.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Right before um, National Signing Day, too. Right before the uh, you know the final bow on the 2017 2018 season um what you guys uh, have you you know as far as um not just our recruiting but what have you guys just been up to as far as this calendar year like um, have you guys been watching college basketball i know we've had the playoffs lately so um what have you guys been up to
1: well me personally i know if you follow me and joey from our podcast we've been going back and forth because my eagles are in the super bowl this weekend and they beat his Vikings, so I will be definitely looking forward to that on Sunday. I'm having a few people over for that. And i pretty sure there's going to be tears either way, whether they win or lose, <laughs> because in my lifetime, this has been the one thing I've been looking forward to, is the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. So that is what I've been up to the past uh, couple of weeks, I should say. And it's been a good run, great run, and hopefully it ends on a great note.
2: Yeah, I have to say my offseason hasn't been as exciting as that. Uh, really, I've just been kind of hunkering down with college basketball. I know it's kind of been kind of quiet on those fronts, but I think it's going to get really wild here in the next month or so as we enter February or March. Um, but like Joe said, I know I know it's probably pretty wild up there in Philly right about now.
0: Yeah, um, you know I'm a Rams fan, so the Rams finally made the playoffs, but then they got eliminated really quick to, of all teams, the Falcons, and they laid that dud um, the next round. I was very frustrating. But other than that, yeah, I've just been following hoops in Conference USA and in the Sun developed. Um The Cajuns actually looking pretty good. Um, I might, you know, look out for them when it comes to the selection time. Hopefully they make the tournament. I might like, pick them for an upset. I really like their team. And then over in Conference USA, I've just been following the hoops there too. Um, but, you know, we're here to talk about the new group of five head coaches. It was a pretty quiet um, coaching carousel, I thought, as far as on the D5 front. Just, not a lot of power five schools, surprisingly, um, poached a lot of head coaches from the group of five schools. What did you guys think about the general coaching carousel um, as far as, uh, I guess we'll start with
1: Joe. Obviously, just because I personally have been covering the AAC, I think the one that sticks out for me was the, uh, the Chad Morris hire, if you're talking about someone being taken away more because Scott Frost, we knew that was eventually happening just because the ties for Nebraska were there for a long time. It was basically a match made in heaven years ago when we knew he was going to be coaching. We knew at some point it was probably going to happen as long as he was successful. Chad Morris was one of those things where I felt like you didn't see it really coming this soon. We knew it was potential to happen, but it was also not like, SMU had that crazy year that really, you know, wowed everybody to him to be snatched up so soon. But you know, Arkansas, I guess, realized that a young talent and picked him up as you know as quick as they could before they realized that SMU was about to maybe make that that jump. And then teams that are bigger than Arkansas are going after him. So that's why I'm going to say Chad Morris over what I or what people would probably say is Frost in the AAC.
2: For me, I think the big thing was the big player this off season in the coaching search as far as conferences go was the SEC. Um, but what you what you're seeing in the SEC, what they've done lately is really kind kind of hire coordinators. Like if you just look like the SEC East, the latest hires in that division have all been coordinators. So they're really not looking to the G five at all. And in that division you got Muschamp, who's at Auburn, Mark Stoops who's at Florida State, Derek Mason, who was at Stanford, Jeremy Pruitt this year is at Tennessee. And then even Kirby Smart was even at Georgia. So the style there has been to just hire power, power five coordinators. And so when you look at the bigger picture, I think a lot of G five coaches, such as you know in the Sun Belt, Neil Brown and Blake Anderson, really didn't even get sniffed really for any openings. I think it was just the way the search or the, the openings that came out kind of just didn't play towards them. And uh, that's why I think you saw some of the bigger guns like we you know we talked about with frost and chad morris some of those guys who had the big names those were obvious choices but after that i think really much wasn't even out there even for a guy like mike norvell um some guy who had a a, a huge year there for memphis um so i think it was just a, a quiet year but i would expect the next year or two years after that to be really really crazy
0: yeah, I agree with that. I think um, the fact that a few three, group of five head coaches have also not really fared too well with making that next leap. You know, we've had Butch Jones. He spent about, I think, maybe four or five years at Cincinnati, and then he went to Tennessee, and it kind of didn't pan out um, exactly well. um, Brewster, I guess, before – or not Brewster, I'm sorry. Um, man I before – um, at Minnesota, his time didn't pan out really well. Um, you know, so, you know, a few of the group five head coaches, they just haven't really transitioned on that, in that big stage, you know, um, even, I guess, you know, as far as the heavy hitters like Herman, he didn't necessarily fail fair as well as we expected. Now he's still in year one in his time in Austin, but. You know, I guess, you know, power five head coaches or in ADs in general, or power five athletic directors are a lot more leery, I guess, as far as going immediately and getting that hot name. Um, but I guess there really wasn't too many hot names other than you know Scott Frost and then Chad Morris. Um, but you know, enough of that. We're gonna transition now. Um, we're gonna play a little game. Uh, we're gonna start with AAC and go alphabetical order from AAC to USA, the Sun Belt, and um, I'm gonna pretty much ask both of you um, and grade the actual hire. So we're going to start off with Joe, since this this is his ground in the AAC. Joe, um, the SMU, they've hired Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes, of course, was the former head coach of Louisiana Tech, um, former head coach at Cal before leaving abruptly and going back to his home state in Texas. Already coached the game um, with, you know, he has, I guess, a head start in front of his peers, but not a really great showing as uh, the Mustangs got destroyed by Louisiana Tech in their bowl game. Um, Joe, what do you grade uh, SMU's hire?
1: As far as a grade, I mean, and we can't take into account that first game because if you want to go, go that route, you give him a D off the start. But uh, as we talked about on our show, that's just be that's more because the entire previous regime was gone. There was a graduate assistant running that bowl game. And probably, let's be honest, probably Ben Hicks didn't know the nuances of what his, that graduate assistant was going to do. Overall, I actually think it's not a bad hire. Uh, I know we have talked about offline. It'll be a little bit interesting to see how he coincides with Rhett Lashley as his offensive coordinator. Uh, I think that'll be an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on. But if we're going to talk about somebody who they, I mean, obviously in my eyes, and I'm going to say this about both coaches coming up, but their best options were probably to keep the two guys they had on board. But if you're going to write like I said, Sonny Dykes, I think, just because more of the fact that what I think is being overlooked is his dad was actually a legendary coach in that area. So he will do a yeah. solid job recruiting down there. And I think that's obviously one of the reasons why they brought him on board. So he has the track record of also rebuilding G5 programs. Let's not say he rebuilt Cal or anything like that. but so I think it's actually a pretty solid hire. So if you're going to not include the very first game. I would give it a C plus, maybe a B nothing more than that. But again, in my eyes, ideally Morris is still around. Yeah. For me,
2: I think the thing with, uh, Dykes, I think first the bowl game, I think people just need to let that go. He had a graduate assistant calling plays. I'm not really sure why he coached the team. It seemed like kind of a little weird to me, but for me, I give the, the grade a B, Dyke's, uh, what SMU built with Chad Morris is a spread it out, throw it around offense uh, he's going to bring in that air eight. he's put up points everywhere he's been, he had Texas roots, like Joe mentioned his dad was a legendary coach at Texas Tech and so I think he really he checks off a lot of boxes for that SMU program, he's got a, a name that carries some weight um, he's got a history, you know, he, everybody knows he worked with Leach and so he's he's and he was really successful at Louisiana Tech before he made the jump to Cal, and I think you could uh, contribute a lot of his, uh, you know, not doing well at Cal was because he was just a bad fit culturally, and offensive wise they just didn't like that kind of football. But it, at SMU it'll be a more a better fit, and so that's the reason I give it a B. If you ask me, is Sonny Dykes going to win conference championships at SMU, I'd say no. But when you're looking at just consistently winning seven to eight football games a year, I think he can definitely do that there in Dallas.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with um, Adam on this one. I think um, I would give the, the hire really a B-plus just for the optics. Um, Dykes, just like you guys have mentioned before, father is a Texas Tech legend, um, Texas legend, really, as far as in the coaching circles down there. He knows the recruiting area. i Texas native. Um, you know, from the time that Cal really the huge problem was his defense. I mean, he had a number one draft pick in Jared Thoff, but they just couldn't stop anyone there. He didn't really win any huge um, rivalry games. I believe he he went winless against um, Stanford, you know, Cal's big rival. So um, I I think that, you know, now that he's at SMU and much more familiar territory, Um a talent advantage, I guess, so to speak, where he can recruit, um, I guess, to his scheme a lot better. Uh, I think he's going to do well there. Now, this might be, you know, I guess as far as for, from SMU's perspective, given that Dykes didn't really fare too well at Cal, you know, I really don't really see him being on the market for any huge power five jobs. So this might be a long-term fit, too. Um, you know, maybe if the a few jobs in Big 12 open up, you know, specifically, you know, with Texas Tech. if kingsbury can't get things turned around maybe they come calling but i think you know I, I think this was a great uh a good hire by smu smu if that was their ad this was, would have been the guy who i've targeted now ucf on the other hand as we transition transition to the knights down here in orlando i'm not really a fan of this josh hypo hire guys um not really a fan of it at all. Um, Adam, what do you what did you think about the UCF Knights hiring Josh Heupel? If you guys don't know, he's um, Missouri's offensive coordinator. Um, I believe he used to coach at Oklahoma as well. He's a student's part of Jay. I believe is that right? Yes. Yeah, he
2: actually yeah. actually got fired um, at Oklahoma. Uh, they I don't know if they fired He won a national championship as a quarterback there, and then he coached at Oklahoma. Until that point, and I think Stoops decided you know we need to part ways, and that's when, when he let let him go, I believe that's when he went out and got Lincoln Riley, if I'm not mistaken yes, um so okay. so he yeah. had that yeah. that, uh, that that interest that that kind of and he went to Utah State for a year and then he really kind of turned it on with Mizzou, and he but he had an NFL quarterback, but I think Danny White, athletic director at UCF, I think he considers himself a bit of a risk taker. And what he saw with the UCF roster or what he wants to build with that football program, I think, is a team that scores a bunch of points. And so and you, you saw what Lock, or what Drew Locke did in that Mizzou offense this year and what that offense was able to do um, was really, you know, set all kinds of records and score a bunch of points. So I think that's what – I think it was a little bit of a rolling the dice. Um, I didn't – Randy Shannon hire, he's not the greatest D.C., but he should help recruiting down there so that – they kind of got the, the defensive coordinator set in stone with that hypo higher. I would give it around a C plus because hypos more. He's got really kind of Southwest roots. There's no real you know roots for him in Florida, so he's going to be really dependent on his staff, what kind of talent that the, his staff can bring in. Um, and I think he should be able to do some good things with his, his offense, but it does seem kind of like an awkward fit. So I I would give it right at a C or a C plus.
1: Honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head with most of what you said there. Uh, the main thing you mentioned, the Randy Shannon, I almost feel like that's more of like a security blanket in case things with a hypo actually don't work out. Um, what you said about Danny White, I feel like was spot on. Uh, he went out and uh, went out of his way and called the hypo one of the brightest minds in in college football. And again, I think it's just because they do want to score points. They figure if now, if you can go undefeated and you still can't get in leading the country in scoring, I guess they're trying to score more points. I guess that's a philosophy now. And you mentioned it, uh, Heupel, the offense with Mizzou was great. He also quarterbacked two Heisman Trophy winners. I think that's something that we can't like leave out here. Uh, that would be Jason White and Sam Bradford. So he's obviously pretty good with quarterbacks and he's got one and maybe White was thinking, had this in mind too, but he knows he's got, he's got Milton for a little bit longer too. So maybe these two can actually make magic happen. And then again, if not, he's got Shannon there in the wings to do the recruiting and pick up the pieces. If things don't work out.
0: Yeah. Um, the Shannon hire was a, was one that was, um, pretty obvious, I guess for the Knights, you know, as far as helping, Hypo transition to the state of Florida where, um, you know, where the recruiting world is very vicious as far as who you're competing against with Butch Davis in um, Miami and then Kiffin in Boca and then Strong, of course, in Tampa. Um, I'm just, you know, I know that he took a chance, um, Danny White took a chance on, you know, Scott Frost coming up, who was, you know, known at the time primarily for being the lead recruiter for um, Marcus Mariota, who won the Heisman at Oregon. I just think that you know Missouri or not Missouri. um, The Knights they could have done better. You know, um, hypo. You know, I'm looking at the box scores and the you know the points at Missouri as their OC during the middle of the season, and it was against Idaho, UConn, Florida, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. They finished the game. You know, they finished the season on a a great winning streak, and they scored at least 45 in each of those games that I just listed off. But none of those teams were really good. Um, You know, and, and a lot of that I think was owed to how phenomenal Drew Locke is. Now, I guess you can give Hypo credit for developing him and turning in and calling and um, calling prolific offense during that stretch, but I'm just not really sold on him being the next um, great coach, uh, so to speak. Um, it'll be interesting definitely to see, you know, how he transitions in this season with the fact that UCF has a bunch of players coming back from last year's team. So expectations immediately are going to be to repeat and, you know, same, you know, kind of the different situation, but, um, you know, Western Kentucky was in that same mode where Braum left, and then they brought in Sanford, and it was some guy, you know, random OC in Notre Dame, and the expectations, even though the roster was loaded, was to repeat, and then they didn't, you know, fare that well. Now, I'm not saying that Hypo might not fare that, you know, go down that same road, but I just feel like... The knights probably could have done better. Um, I know that they missed out on someone. He ended up going to Arizona. He didn't want the position, um, but I just wouldn't. I would have made a much more. I don't know. I just. I'm not in love with the hire. I think I would give it a a C minus or a D. Um, I would. He has lots to prove to me. Let's let's just leave it at that.
2: Before we move on, um, the, what he's running is different than
0: uh, Frost. They're both
2: going fast, but. Heupel's running more of an Art Briles type of offense while while Scott Frost is running more of a Chip Kelly type of offense. And we saw this year, because USF, when they lost Willie Taggart and they brought in that Art Bryles type of offense, Quint Flowers didn't have – I mean, he had a really good year, but it was not near the year we thought it would have. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing with Mackenzie Milton next year under Heupel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great, great comparison. Great comparison.
0: Yeah, good comparison. Um, you know, looking at the uh, Bill Connolly, the overseer at, over at SB Nation as far as their numbers, and he released a great article today on returning production And UCF ranks, um, 34th offensively in returning production with Milton coming back and all the, those other studs. And it's just going to be a lot of pressure, you know, and I think that's a great example. We all expected USF to pretty much run through the AAC and win the New Year's Six bid, but that transition just didn't go as smoothly as anyone anticipated. And now we'll see if UCF can kind of avert that same mistake and um, those same pitfalls that the rivals did down in Tampa. But um, transitioning now out of the AAC and going into Conference USA, we go from one big city to another, from Orlando to Houston. Um, The Rice Owls, they let go. Bayless, who was there for 11 years, and a, a you know a really good coach I thought um, coming over from Texas State who just kind of ran out of gas you know Rice is just such a hard job with academics and you know in my opinion some sort of um, fan apathy uh, he comes over from Stanford offensive coordinator so he already knows how to recruit with stringent academics um, with the degree that Stanford holds you recruit nationally you already can go into the household so Rice has that going for them um being that it's my neck of the woods over here in conference usa i'm going to go first i thought this is a pretty decent hire i would i would give it a b optics wise you know we already know what you know the stanford degree holds so you're automatically going to go into you know living rooms and recruit and that's the same thing that rice offers down for kids in texas louisiana and all over the states where you immediately have that name recognition of what a degree can do for your child so From that university. So I think that, you know, he has that advantage as far as knowing how Rice operates. And he's going to have a lot of time with it, too. It's just that he plans on bringing over the brutality of the strong offensive linemen, which is great, you know, being that majority of the offensive linemen are really smart people (laughs) and they want to go to prestigious universities such as Rice and Stanford. And I'm just. You know, it's just going to take him some time. As long as the Rice administration gives him some time, which they've done with David Bailiff, um, I think he'll get things rolling there. You know, he has to recruit, though. That's the one thing that Rice has always been known for, is having their recruiting classes just fall apart last minute, getting poached by other group of five schools in the state and then the power five schools as well. Um, With Frank Wilson over at UTSA and then Seth Luttrell getting things going in North Texas, Recruiting is going to be huge for Rice to make ends in Conference USA. And being that the offensive line and other skill positions aren't necessarily up to par as the rest of the conference, it's going to take them some time. But I think this this is a solid hiring. I I give it a B. Um, Adam, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I think a B. I would agree with that. Um, I think this hire made a lot of sense on a lot of levels. Um, You see a guy that coached at the most successful, I guess, smart school, I guess you could say, in the country right now, which is Stanford um so he knows what you know what kind of athletes he needs to get there what what water is really to swim in i guess um talent wise what he's really looking for he's going to bring an identity to Rice, something i don't think they really had all the time with Bailiff. um they're going to they're going to line up they're going to recruit tight ends they're going to recruit big tackles and they're going to recruit um, uh, good running backs, and they're going to run the football, and then the, on defense, they're going to be uh, physical in the front seven, so I think that made a lot of sense. The The only thing, the only big issues I've had about it is, Bloomgrim was an offensive coordinator, but he never called plays at Stanford. The head coach, David Shaw, calls the plays over there, so I'm not sure if he's going. If that's what he's going to do, or I'm not sure what his, who his OC is off the top of my head, so that's going to be big for him is uh, getting a good play caller in there, especially with that um, the talent issue they're always going to be dealing with there um, in, in the city of Houston, and then just I don't believe he has any Texas ties. So that those are really the only two things for me holding holding me back from saying this is a the, the, an A plus or A higher.
1: I think you actually mentioning those Texas ties were almost a perfect segue to what I wanted to say because in large part I mean you mentioned the fact that he comes from Stanford and the Rice they have the same. Um, academic requirements almost. But another main reason why he's down and got that job is because the AD now is a former Stanford grad. He was actually the associate AD at Stanford a couple years ago. And now Bloomgan is a guy which I don't know if many college football fans know, but has been in actually discussions for some NFL head coaching gigs. Uh, But he – or excuse me, all the way around. He was in a discussion for – assisting gigs but he never took them because he wanted only in a head coaching gig so that's why he's taking this job at rice but i i do think it you mentioned how he wasn't the offensive coordinator there or actually wasn't calling the plays there and i think that will be crucial to see how this turns out he was an o-line coach which will help in bringing in those big boys, running the football. This is the guy who opened up the lanes for Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love. That was what he – if there's one thing we know he's going to be able to do, he will be able to find guys that open a hole for his running backs. So I guess maybe now we'll come to find out whether these running backs were really spectacular, which obviously they're both next-level guys, so they probably are, or if this was also part of a product of Bloomgren being able to coach up some offensive linemen who, again, probably are not heavily recruited around the country.
0: You know, another thing that we'll see is the, you know, the the inflammation of um, the model that we, that you just think that, oh, you you know, if this smart school is doing it, then why can't this smart school do it and, and succeed? You know, in Northwestern, we've seen them kind of embrace, you know, a spread offense under Fitzgerald, but more or less really recruit well in the trenches to kind of run and be effective in the Big Ten. And then in Stanford, we've seen the same thing where, you know, the guys that they have in the front line are just, you know, overwhelming as far as what you can, what you usually see on the Pac-12. And so they've been able to thrive. And now we'll see if that same model will work well in Rice. And I think, you know, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see whether Bloomgren can translate that success in, to Rice because they're not only are they in the shadow of other um, schools nearby, but you have Houston, um, the Cougars who kind of overwhelm them as well as far as talent and, and um, gain interest. So it's uh, definitely one of the harder jobs in the country. Um, And another another hard job um, all the way in El Paso, a city that I really want to visit one day, by the way, because I just love tacos and Mexican food. Um, The UTEP miners, Dana Daimel, this hire was very, very, very confusing. I don't know why the miners did this. I know they just had a new AD come in, so the search took a bit longer and um you know um Dino he's the offense coordinator from Kansas State he was a former Houston Cougars head coach before I, our Brios came in and kind of took that um took the Cougars to the next level i did not like this hire for minor for the minors um when they initially announced him seeing what he's been doing on the recruiting trail in the in the um Kansas State transfers that have come come over and followed him um you know the hire i guess kind of make a little bit more sense but i gave i give this a d i think in my opinion this was the worst hire i don't really see how inspiring this could be for the utep fans on um, el paso residents for why they should want to go to the sun bowl and watch the miners play um i and, you know an offense that really didn't even wasn't even exciting in manhattan for bill snyder and the Wildcats. so um what did you guys think about this hire i personally thought utep we all wanted them to
2: do something unique and go be interesting, be different. I think they did that, but just not the way we were expecting. I believe his it's actually Dana Dimmel. Um, he played at K-State under Snyder, coached under him a long, long time, was a head coach at Wyoming. and had some pretty good success there, three winning seasons, but really the bottom fell out on him uh, at Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you look at the offense, they're going to kind of run. I guess it's going to be kind of like what he did at K-State just kind of run heavy with a quarterback. But I think the thing he brings to the table there is junior college recruiting because that's what K-State does. That's what Bill Snyder built that program on. So I think his connections to the junior college areas are going to be big for him because, as we know, it's really, really hard to recruit there to El Paso. Um, I would give it a C because, you know, we saw what he did at Houston eight twenty-six 26 in three seasons, but it's been – very long time since that happened, and he's still only 55. So he got that head coaching gigs when he was pretty young. Um, so I would give it a C, C plus, but the expectation um, should still be pretty low there for the minors in my opinion.
1: I'm gonna have to agree more with Cyrus. I'm gonna have to. I won't say it is my least favorite hire. I will say it is my little second least favorite hire. Uh, he does have the ties to Texas recruiting, but. Again, this is almost 15 years ago. So there's we're talking about a whole generation of players who probably have never even heard of this guy, other than he's been the offensive coordinator at Kansas State the past couple of years. Now, if you're UTEP, obviously you're in a position right now. You're coming off an 0-12 season. You're you're looking for any spark whatsoever. Um, Adam, you just kind of brought up how is he? They bring in the JUCO guys. I honestly am kind of surprised they didn't try to go from the lower ranks and and make a higher, maybe try to make a splash that way. Just because if this is if this is your best option in my eyes, if you're going to if you're a recruit coming out right now and you look at this guy's past record, what about him entices you to come to UTEP? That's that's just the way I see it. He had an opportunity at Houston, which we can argue is a far better program, and failed there. So what's going to make you want to come to Utah?
0: You know, I think that the fact that he did does have some experience recruiting junior college kids and them doing relatively well at Kansas State does give him, um, you know, I, it makes sense from that standpoint from the minor's perspective. But I just don't see how this works out in any way. I mean, UTSA made a hire and brought in the young up-and-coming guy in Frank Wilson. North Texas brought an up-and-coming guy in Seth trial. Even Rice brought an up-and-coming guy in Bloomgren and then you go out and you get a retread. And, you know, I thought that they should have gone the retread route. I was mainly thinking, they, you know, they bring in Mike Stoops and kind of establish some type of connection in in Arizona and California so they can recruit those type of kids versus always trying to go in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And um over in East Texas to try to bring those kids all the way to El Paso because that's always going to be much more of a harder task. But for them to just hire Dana Dymo or Demo Dimo, Demo whatever his name is, um, it was just way too left over for me. And it's not exciting, you know. The Utah just went through the task of having Sean Kugler, who ran a very un you know, not a very exciting offense. Um, that was really run heavy. That produced linemen and produced running back and Aaron Jones, who did you know really well with the Green Bay Packers this year, but they just couldn't do anything through the air and passing the ball. And, and conference USA in such a pass-heavy league, on you know where you want to put up points. they're they were just getting outscored on too much of a consistent basis.
2: Yeah, I I understand uh, the points. I just think UTEP as a program, we need to realize what they are. And it's a program that's really kind of hanging on by a thread as a Power Five program. It's hard to recruit high school athletes to. Um, I just think they're just they're going all in on the JUCO rank, and I think it's a. Uh, I we I don't know this for sure, but it just seems like a program that that maybe they called a bunch of up and comers, and they just couldn't. Nobody had any interest in that job, and I think Demmel, you know, is. Hard as it may be, he may have been the only guy really interested in it because that's what it seemed like with that search. It took so long, and then they settled on that. Um, I think he brings some stuff to the table that could work there, um, but still, I don't, I, I, I don't see them as you know being a consistently winning program.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, UTEP has a very, very loyal fan base over, um, down there in El Paso, and our SB Nation sister site, uh, Minor Rush. He's always um, Alex. He's always pining for for better and exciting minor football and I just don't see it coming. Um, you know, now we transition now that we're done with conference were saying we go over to the Sun Belt. And um, you know, this is actually one of the most intriguing hires that I thought with USA when they came on the market. Um Adam, I thought you wrote a great article as far as why as far as why this job would be enticing and mobile. And um South Alabama, they went out and got Steve Campbell after they replaced Joey Jones. Um you know, I thought it was time for a move when they did that, especially when South Alabama lost to Georgia Southern in, in embarrassing fashion. Uh, Adam, since, or, you know, since this is your neck of the woods, uh, what did you think about the Steve Campbell hire?
2: I thought it was a really, really good hire for South Alabama. When that job opened, we were there were some more flashy names, but Campbell was one of the five that made that list I put together. I think he brings a lot of things to the table. Um, that are really attractive for South Alabama. It, this is a program that consistently recruits junior colleges um, at a high volume, and Campbell has a ton of junior college ties, um, even being a really successful uh, head coach at a Mississippi junior college and winning, some national uh, well, I think, at least one national championship. And then he went over to Central Arkansas and really built that program up pretty fast. And pretty quickly, so I think he checks off the boxes there culturally. I think he's a really, really good fit he's from Pensacola, which is just down the road, and so I think he's really he really checked a lot of boxes for them. And I think he's going to be able to bring some consistency to a program that has been consistently inconsistent under Joey Jones. And if you can keep up with the one or two upset victories they get uh, a year, and take out the one or two of the upsets that they take each year. I think you're looking at a program that is consistently going to bowl games out of the Sun Belt.
1: I have to agree with everything you said. I'm, I'm basically going to rehash a lot of what you said. Uh, it, it was, in my eyes, what I thought was important that he said in his his press conferences how he was born and raised in the area. And I guess it might be cliche that we, really, you, we hear that thing, but things like that actually mean things to the actual coach. Like They are going to put their heart and soul on that. And Adam, again, just brought up, he had the success at the JUCO level. He did win that national championship. He's won a national championship at the D2 level, so he has been successful everywhere he has been. Um, he's basically just kind of going up the ladder. Uh, I mentioned the D2. He's got the JUCO one. He's been successful at Central Arkansas now. I, I think it's a great hire. Bring him in and Again, it's a guy from that hometown, so that'll help in recruiting. I can't argue what Adam said. They they will be fighting for bowl games for at least the next up, upcoming years because Joey Jones. I mean, it was one of those situations where after uh, ten, what was it, ten years? I want to say it was. yeah uh, it's kind of when you work the same job after so long, you, you just you get you kind of get sick of it after a while. So you you need a new you need a new face to take over. To do things, so i I honestly think this is one of my favorite hires of the uh, college football carousel.
0: same, same. This is actually one of my you know one of the more um, my favorite hires too. I, I give this hire actually um a b plus as far as the grade wise. I think um you know you guys hit on some excellent points. The fact that he's a Pensacola native, he knows the Panhandle region, so he knows the connections there as far as recruiting kids there. Um, he went to Troy, so he knows Alabama really well, the deep south as far as what the recruiting territories are there is gonna be like the battles in that state. And then he has JUCO ties too, which as a Sun Belt school you always wanna rely on JUCO systems to get kids should you miss out on um, you know, whether you're local prospects or you know, when you're trying to get other power five transfers into the school to, you know, raise the talent level. So I thought this was a great hire. Just looking at the recruiting class, he has a few three stars that are coming in and a few of them are from the JUCO ranks, which is exactly, you know, what I feel like most Sunbelt and Conference USA schools should rely on or not necessarily rely on, but to always seek out um JUCO players who um are, you know, three stars and just trying to get, you know, experience as far as breaking into the FBS level. Um, I thought this was a great hire, um, The uh, you know, another hire in the Sun Belt that was kind of um, a bit left field as far as um, no ties to the region, so to speak, whereas what South Alabama did, um, the Louisiana Lafayette region Cajuns, yes, the Lafayette region Cajuns, Louisiana, um, they go out and hire Billy Napier, Arizona State offensive coordinator, really known for, you know, having that i um, off actually before I believe he came over from Alabama. Um, I believe so. Yes. Yep. Uh, I do what did you think about this hire? I thought it was a good hire
2: again. Um, he was the receivers coach, uh, there at Alabama, I believe. And, uh, as soon as Saban passed him up, um, cause there was a lot of thinking that he was going to be Bama's next offensive coordinator after Kiffin and Stark left. But, um, when Saban passed him up, I think, I believe that's when he made the move to go to Arizona state. And of course he called plays for one season. Um, high Grand's last season there in tempe and did a did a decent good job um, but Napier's a really good recruiter um and louisiana lafayette is a program that needs to recruit um they need to be up there towards the top of the recruiting rankings as far as the Belt goes and that's something they really um, weren't under Hudspeth. um so i like what he brings to the table there um but after that um i will just we'll just have to see um i'm not sure if he's going to call plays or not he's put from the looks of it, he's putting a pretty good staff together. Um, so I have a pretty high expectations for Neighbor and he's had a program that should consistently compete uh, for conference titles in the fun belt.
1: I actually have it written down, and unless something has changed in the past couple of weeks, that he did say he will call plays there. Uh, I actually, I actually kind of like this hire just because, I mean, if you're Herm Edwards, who – who basically lost him going there. I I feel like this was a uh, pretty significant loss for them just because this is a guy who actually has a ton of experience. Uh, We mentioned the years from Alabama. Uh, He spent also many years at Clemson as well. He was the offensive coordinator for two years under Dabo. So this is a guy who uh, he's not, he's young. He's 38, but he's been around success and He's been around, I mean, the two names of Alabama and Clemson. Those are what we can argue Dabo and uh, Saban are the two best coaches in college football right now. And he has also done a successful job of recruiting some guys in Louisiana, a couple guys from maybe it's the Monroe area, but he has got some guys out of Louisiana. So I actually do think this was a solid hire. Uh, We kind of talked about maybe grading earlier. This was my favorite hire. Uh, out of the uh, G5 ones, just because I feel like they kind of almost stole somebody because Herman Edwards really thought he was going to keep him around, and then just because he ended up there, he kind of jumped ship. And this is a guy, again, with some success that can hopefully bring some of that with him to uh, ULL.
0: Yeah, I think with with this hire, what I like the most is the fact that he's young and and that he can recruit just like what Adam said, the Cajuns should always be bringing in one of the better um, recruiting classes in the Sun Belt. And being in that talent-rich area in Louisiana, he has that ability to, you know, relate to kids and bring them in. Where also with, you know, just looking at his coaching staff, he has coaches who have ties from Texas, which the Cajuns should always want to dip in the East Texas here and there to recruit. And he has tex- or <laughs> recruiting ties um, to Louisiana as well. So I think with this hire, it's just, um, you know, they raised their ceiling a bit more. They kind of plateaued out under H- Hutchbeth and never really hit that next level. And they really never regained what they had once those, um, you know, those allegations and sanctions came down where they had to uh, vacate their wins. It just didn't feel like the same um, program as far as urgency and excitement. So I- and it's definitely one of the more in- intriguing hires in this year's crop of new head coaches, Um Transitioning over now to Statesboro, the last hire in the Sun Belt um, that we'll discuss, Jordan Southern promoting longtime coach for the for the Eagles, Chad Lunsford. This was um this was a a very very interesting hire from my perspective. I thought the the Eagles should have probably shifted towards away or shifted away from the option, but you know they ended up bringing in or you know retaining someone who's very familiar with Statesboro, loves the Eagles, loves the culture, knows the players pretty well. And I guess from the Eagles' perspective, um, replacing – what is his name again? Um, ah, I can't believe I'm trying Tyson to blank Summer. here. Um, there we go, Tyson Summers. How could I forget Tyson Summers and um, our guy's uh, impressions of him on Slack. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Stone, stone. Um, Adam, what did you think about uh, um The higher the – for them to promote within.
2: This seemed like the classic let the players hire hire the coach. Um, Lunsford, just his track record, I mean, he just doesn't have the resume to be a a head coach. I think they could have went out and got um, someone maybe a little more qualified. It just seems like a lazy hire to me. But what he's going to do is he is Georgia Southern through and through, so there's no doubt that he bleeds – for that school, that's uh, his passion. Is to coach at Georgia Southern, um, but it's a—I think it's a higher weather. If it doesn't work immediately um, next year, um, I think it could get ugly again. There for the Eagles, um, he's made some good hires. I like the Bob the Beast hire he made as the offensive coordinator. Um, he called plays there for Bob Davie at New Mexico. and runs the option. Then he brought over an at-state assistant to run the defense. Um, which should be an an improvement, uh, but I really didn't like this hire. It was one of my least favorite hires um, of, of the off season. He went two and four uh, as the interim. and picked up big wins against. Um, I, I picked up a big win on the road uh, in Cajun Country, um, where they blew out the Raging Cajuns, and then they smoked South Alabama at home. But those were two teams that they beat teams had pretty much given up at the end of the season because they knew their coach was going to get fired. I and mean, then when he got the head coaching job, his team laid an egg against a bad Coastal Carolina team. So um, I I just felt real good about that, and I really didn't like this hire at all.
1: Uh, this was my least favorite hire of all of them. I think you nailed it on the head again. This was a situation where – the kids picked the coach. Uh, it almost feels like the administration was just trying to please them instead of going out and looking for a transition that you got, that Cyrus kind of mentioned trying to get out of the option. And there are plenty of option coaches out there. Uh, There's plenty of guys from Kenny, Nia staff that they probably could have went at to after to run the option, but they kind of went with the guy. Yeah. He's a homegrown guy. It, it, in my eyes, this is a guy who's never even been a coordinator. So it's almost like you're just taking your biggest fan and saying, Hey, go ahead and be our coach. And granted, like he's has you know, he's not just, he's not just a fan. He's been around the football program for a while, but what has he really shown even in those last couple games that married him having a head coaching job? So again, this is my least favorite hire by far. I, I, I don't understand why. Again, you just let kids make the decision when there's plenty of options you could have had that could have maybe actually turned your program around.
0: Here's a question that I have, really, with this hire: is that um, you know, throughout the process, it seemed like you know, or throughout the season, it seemed like Summers was you know, dead man walking, and he was going to leave. And I wonder what the talk was in the athletic department as far as whether they should keep you know, tied to the option or not, because we know how. What the option means to the georgia seven Eagles, they are you know one of the pioneers as far as at the fcs level they dominated with the option attack and now even at the fbs level they had success with fritz but i just feel like they could have done more um you know just, i just feel like they could have done more do you guys think that they should have if they did bring in a new head coach still remain um had ties with the option
1: can i just say as somebody so in my eyes the option in today's college football, is never going to translate into something that is going to be a championship contender. And we see it now. We're like, yeah, Navy and Army, especially Army as of late, have had successful runs. But we're not talking about them in the discussion of even the top 25, honestly. They're not even in that talk. So if you are a program like that, if you're trying to like get out of Maybe some shadows of some other of the teams in your conference and try to make a name for yourself because you're still relatively a younger program in the FBS. Then get away from the option because it's almost like I said, you know, it's not going to be overly successful to the point where you're going to compete even in the conference. Let's be honest.
2: When you go to the option, you're automatically giving yourself as a program a
1: ceiling. There's only so far that you can
2: go. And exactly. you, you you're not ceiling, gonna recruit wide receivers.
1: Hit. You're not recruiting wide receivers when you're in a program like that. You just you're right. not but the thing with this Georgia Southern program is
2: this option is so embedded in their culture and every time they try to get away from it, it's a friggin' train wreck. Every every time they try to get away from it, everything that could can go wrong does go wrong, and their fans are so it's all in. It's so weaved into them. It's so much in their blood that I think they they're gonna take a risk to lose a lot of their fans if they go away from it. So in being a program in the Sun Belt, their goals as a program aren't gonna be the same as programs in the AAC. So I think from when you're looking at it through those. Through those lenses, I think it's okay to want to be an option school, want to be strictly option, but there were more qualified people out there if you want to do this option thing than Lunsford. They could have went up and got Munkin's offensive coordinator at Army. They could have went and got uh, the Kennesaw State head coach uh, in the FCS level who rebuilt a bad program to a team that went to the FCS playoffs this year by running the triple option, and I believe he's also a Munkin disciple. I just – Mm-hmm. I just don't. Yes. I just didn't like that that fit for Lunsford. It just it just screams lazy hire, and that this kind of would seem like the second lazy hire they've made in a row.
0: Yeah, it, you know it's going to be interesting. The fans got what they wanted as far as running, um, keeping their identity with the option, but we'll see if Lunsford's ready to step in that chair and you know um, run the program certainly more effectively than Tyson Summers ever did. Um, that was the last G5 head coach that we'll talk about as far as detailed wise we, we you know there were eight coaches actually we only really talked about seven the last one was Kent State um their search was a train wreck um they were practically um begging for anyone to you know as far as getting anyone to fill the position even for an interview um they ended up hiring Syracuse as a uh, co-offensive coordinator Sean Lewis um and he is disciple of love, of course, um, uh, Hughes oh, I'm a drunk link on all these names. I'm Syracuse's head coach. Dino. Um, Dino. what do you know? No, yeah, <laughs> there we go. You know, Babers. Gosh, you know, Babers. And so, um, you know, Babers, of course, came over from Bowling Green. So he, you know, he follows him there, so he knows the area pretty well. But, um, my friends over at the Hustle Belt who cover the Mac exclusively for um, SB Nation, they're not really too much of a fan of the hire. Given how, how, how the search went for me, I'm not really too much of a fan of the hire. It's just kind of one of those hard jobs, you know. It's, I feel like, to me, in my opinion, it's kind of in the state of what Eastern Michigan was a few years ago where, you know, there's just not a lot of excitement around the program. And it's not a program known for having an extremely proud winning tradition. So you're, you're just kind of taking fires on guys and hoping that, you know, you, you strike with a hiring time, and, you know, come up with gold with some coach who ends up doing well there. Um, do you guys just have any type of quick thoughts on Kent State's hire about Sean Lewis? Their program is kind of in the same position as UTEP. Um,
2: it's a program that's that are, that's at the bottom of their league. It kind of has to get creative. I think Kent State did kind of the difference between UTEP. UTEP went out and got a kind of a, a second chance kind of guy. While Kent State's really rolling the dice with Lewis. They saw what Dino Babers did at uh, Bowling Green when he was a head coach there, won MAC title, scored a bunch of points, and I I think they're just they're just taking a risk and trying to catch lightning in a bottle.
1: Yeah, he's gonna be the youngest college football coach in the year at 31. I uh, I think uh, any of us would love to be having a coaching gig at that age. Uh, again, yeah. like you kind of said, lightning in a bottle. You try to you try to strike gold and hope that you get some success with this guy and he sticks around for the five years of his contract. And if not, I mean, you're Kent state, you're not really a flashy program. What do you really have to lose?
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, before we conclude with the podcast with our favorite hires in the group of five, we asked our readers, we asked you all and our listeners for some questions. Um, let's start off with um, kickoffs and co Koalas? Yeah, okay. Kickoffs and Koalas. Um, what is dynamo's strategy for turning around UTEP? Um, NMSU, New Mexico State, they're big rivals, um, has built a decent program right up the road. Is there enough talent in the area for two teams to be decent? Um, that's actually a really, really good question. Um, Adam, I'll let you take that one first.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so because most of the talent that they're pulling in is really not from that region. Um, so they're going to go out to California, Texas, hit the junior college market. I think New Mexico State's success, uh, while it's really good, I think UTEP, they're, that, that that's not hurting them. What's hurting them is other, um, other, their self-inflicted wounds, I guess. Um, I think Demmel is going to just try to go out and hammer that junior college um, recruiting area, and uh, that's going to be their strategy. And we're going to find out if that's if you can win at the CUSA level. Um, doing that or not pretty quickly
1: yeah I think it's also important he has also some ties to the Kansas State so Kansas area so he might be able to pluck some guys from that area as well so I don't feel like he will necessarily will be competing as much with New Mexico State as maybe some fans are really thinking about it that way
0: yeah um, I definitely think New Mexico State's emergence um, really has UTEP fans wondering okay if the guys down here finally figured it out in las cruces then we should be able to have a um you know build a bowl team or a winning um, program as well um i think that the, his strategy is just like what we mentioned before he's really going to hit the juco ranks well hard which is exactly what doug martin did you know he new mexico state's head coach he really 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 mined um the junior college talent in arizona and in, Ka- and in kansas and You know, it turned out that, you know, they had the best season in years, so we'll see if that strategy holds up for UTEP. But the one thing that, you know, Doug Mara in New Mexico had the advantage of is, you know, being in the Sun Belt, they played in a weaker conference, and Conference USA, you know, it's not much, much better, but the competition is a bit better week in and week out. And, you know, I think UTEP, they just had that stigma of, oh, we're in Texas, so we should be good in Texas, you know, just like other Texas schools. But, you know, they're just not – Texas like that, and so that I think that perception really hurts them, um, as far as on in the college football landscape just in general. That's a
2: great point, uh Cyrus.
0: I don't think that gets talked
2: about enough.
0: um, That that you
2: know everybody consumes are in Texas, and that they should be able to get players. But I think the reality is they they have more in common with New Mexico than they do the state of Texas.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So our next question, um, the next question that we have is from drake at not underscore the underscore rapper underscore uh funny name <laughs> uh what coach has the best opportunity to do what frost did with ucf now as you know as we all know scott frost came over took over from ucf 0 and 12 and then two years later 13 and 0 or 14 you know really undistributed season national champs all that jazz um that's a really, really tough one. Uh, I'm going to need some time on this one. Joe, you can, you can go ahead and start this one.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with a big flat none. It's impossible for any of the coaches that we have just talked about to repeat what Scott Frost has done. Uh, let's just be honest. Uh, if we're going to pick one of the schools that picked up a new coach, it's probably UCF again, just based on talent alone. But to realistically think that any of these programs has a shot at going 13-0 and or 14-0 and and being a national championship is just way too unrealistic. So I'm going to go with none.
2: Yeah, for me, um, I'm going to take this question as uh, the team that uh, took – that's going from a losing record and a team that maybe has a high ceiling, and I think it's probably Billy Napier – um, uh, down there in Lafayette, Louisiana, I think he can um, get in there. Um, it's a program that's underachieved really last few years under Hudspeth. I think Sun Belt's a league that you can win championships in, and especially if Blake Anderson, Neil Brown, and Scott Satterfield may leave anytime soon, uh, Louisiana Lafayette could be a bro- program where you could see them really um, step up and start winning big uh, down there.
0: Yeah, this is a you know a tough one because I'm not really that much um, in love with all of these coaches where I think that they would make an impact on that level. But um, I guess just because, you know, the AAC West is just going to be so wide open next year and next few years, I guess. Um, I'm going to go with Sonny Dykes, you know, um, you know, his players are very familiar with the wide open spread offense. Ben Hicks will be back returning. Um, I like what I saw from Xavier Jones and Kimon Freeman, not to mention Brayden West as well. You know, averaged about like eight yards a carry. So there's a bunch of playmakers on that side where we can see a similar explosive um, production as far as offensively. And then, you know, I guess, you know, out of the programs that we mentioned, aside from UCF is of course, but I'm just not, you know, like I said before, I'm not in love with that hype, um higher SMU has a lot of potential, um, you know, I guess as far as a higher ceiling. So I'll begrudgingly go with Sonny Dykes, but I don't think, you know, similar would just, um, a coach really replicate that much success that fast at the G5 level. Um, so the next question that we have is from at Ryan from Atlanta. Um, could Chad Lunsford really make a difference at Georgia and Southern with the roster built by the failure that was Tyson Summers? Um, no. no. <laughs> no but, I mean, I don't blunt, think so. We kind of no.
2: talked about that earlier, but I think – um, Lunsford, uh he's going to have to kill it uh, recruiting-wise for him to really be a success, I think. And so far, I mean, he's only had, you know, his little partial class here, but he's
0: not doing uh, as right now. So I would say no. I will add that you know George Southern was the the third highest um retained Bill Connolly's amount of production. They have a bunch of players on offense coming back, and they have a bunch of players on defense coming back. They're third actually defensively as far as the amount of production on coming back defensively. So we could you know we could see the Eagles just make a leap, but they were really bad last year. That's a I think I'm just not I'm not gonna um, I don't think so. No, no, sorry, Ryan, no. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the last question, let's just uh, finish it off with this, which just happened to be one of our biggest talk- talking part of the end. Um, which school made the best hire? Which one was your favorite hire, guys, um, out of the two five schools that we mentioned in this uh, coaching carousel? For me, my big takeaway uh, from this coaching carousel was I think South
2: Alabama really hit a home run for Steve Campbell. I think he checks a lot of boxes for a program um, that really has a very high ceiling in their conference um South Alabama uh really uh is, is in a nice spot uh geographically there where they can recruit all of the big Mississippi junior colleges. They can dip into Florida and as well as Alabama and Georgia. Um I think Campbell, we talked about it. He's won everywhere he's been and I think he's going to win uh at least one conference championship at South Alabama.
0: Mm, bold, bold, bold. Wow. Um that's very, very bold. Uh, Joe, go um, ahead. I don't know even. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Go ahead and and um. Top I'm, not out, going, Joe. I'm not going.
1: I'm not going to be that bold. Not going that far. But I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Uh, for me, it's Billy Napier, just because I don't think he's getting enough credit for his his background. Just because, yeah, he is still a young guy, but he has some some success with his previous programs, and some of those include recruiting in that Louisiana area. Uh, He has success as a play caller as well. So I do think that I won't go as far as to say that they'll compete for for some titles. But I do think that that's a hire that will turn things around down there in Lafayette.
0: I'm actually going to stick in the Sun Belt, too. Um, I'm going to go with um, exactly what Adam said. I really think Steve Campbell, that was a really solid choice for South Alabama. I liked all... He checks all the boxes as far as what I would like at a Sunboat school. He knows um, their area geographically. He can recruit out-of-stating, recruit the panhandle, ties to the JUCO system, knows Alabama well. And then just knowing where South Alabama will be structured in the new Sunbelt divisions going forward, um, South Alabama, I believe, got the favorable draw in there in the West with Texas State, Louisiana, Lafayette, I believe. So right, right at them.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Arkansas State as well. ULM.
0: Uh, yeah, those right there. So um, I just think that you know, with Mobile being one of the better cities in the Sun Belt, I think that the uh, the Jaguars have just have a lot of potential, and I think he's the the best guy for it. So that's my favorite hire that they, um, out of all the group of five head coaches. Um, you know, of course, in the coaching carousel, it's not just head coaches jumping and moving, but we also have position coaches and and coordinators going um, from school to school as well. Before we round this out, just guys, what's the one coordinator move that you guys have noticed that really resonated with you, either positively or negatively?
2: I would say that uh, the beast, I think getting an option guy that has a proven track record, I think that's big for Georgia Southern. For the Sun Belt, I think that's going to be like – Uh, the biggest um, coordinator move we've had uh, uh, as far as the fun belt is concerned. Uh, What what about you, Joe?
1: Uh, I kind of alluded to Randy Shannon a little bit earlier uh, for the same reason, again, just because if the Hypo decision doesn't work out, you have a guy in Randy Shannon who has coached in the area, obviously has the recruiting ties And if you really need him to can just be basically, you know, you can promote within if if things don't work out and say in year two, they're back to being a uh, average team and they need to let him go. You have a guy there who, if you really need to, can go for the interim for the long haul and then maybe keep for the long haul as well because of his ties with area.
0: Um, I'm going to go with, you know, in Conference USA and, and go with uh, UTSA's Al Borges. I thought that was just a really interesting um, move for the runners. I, I, I thought that Frank Wilson would go with the much more innovative, young, hot shot offense coordinator, and for them to kind of go with the retread route. And Al Borges, who's been around, you know, forever. Um, he was calling plays in Auburn way back when, um, offense coordinator at Indiana, Oregon, Cal, um, Community College, Portland State from 86-92. to 92. Um, you know, they really needed uh, a new voice after Frank Selfover was relieved of his duties, and for them to kind of bring in another older mind and an offensive coordinator it's just um, kind of an unimaginative move for me in, in that direction, and, you know, especially when all the conferences or the schools in Conference were saying the high offenses that's um, been in the league. I, you know, I just figured that. I just wanted more from Mosley. From we know that about his recruiting um, ability. I just wanted more as far as building a coaching staff, but that's it from us. Um, thank you for listening. We got this far. Um, we, you know we really appreciate the feedback during the off season we'll be having I guess within the week later we'll be definitely pounding out some nationals Tining day articles. Um, but you know for for Joe and for Adam, thank you guys for you know going through this and trudging through. Um, if you guys can follow us on Twitter, at Underdog Dynasty, if you guys can leave us any type of reviews on iTunes, just to let us know. Um, Any type of feedback is always appreciated. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, And we'll see you guys next time.